These words from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. A common misconception that takes place within most of our minds as we observe all the many evidences of immorality and depravity taking place in our world today, especially that which we see on our television programs and movies and our news reports. The common misconception is that we think that this exaggerated obsession with all of these many forms of of immorality and depravity and the behavior that's uh, so much a part of it, that it just has to be something new to our generation today that it cannot have been this bad in earlier generations. But unfortunately, our memories confuse us. And though we might insist on arguing that yesterday surely was so much better than today and that those days were good old days, sadly, they really were not. Yes, immorality does seem to be running far more rampant today than it has ever been before. There was a a hard cultural turn that was taken back in the 1960s. And so since then, yes, there has been much more of a pronounced presence of immorality. But the real difference, I believe, is not so much in the amount of immorality that's taken place, but rather in this open and perverse way that it is now flaunted, again openly, before the public eye, without embarrassment, without shame. And yes, in some ways, flaunting one's shameful behavior openly is worse than trying to hide it, as was more common perhaps in earlier generations. But the real reality is that sin, especially in these corrupt and vile and moral forms have been with us almost since the beginning of time. And we have only to read of these accounts in the Old Testament, such as with Sodom and Gomorrah, and even in amongst some of our leaders within the Israelite community. Uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, with his two daughters. Samson and Delilah. David and Bathsheba, and it goes on and on. You see that same immorality present 
and pouring forth out of all of those instances there in Scripture. So then, may I say again, sin in all of its many forms, especially immorality and impurity of soul, is not at all new. It has been with us almost from the beginning, and it surely will remain until man breathes his last. And so as we read these words in our text today about the immorality that's present within the hearts of men and women, we must not think ourselves unique. Sin is simply what it is. It's wrong in every context, and we as believers must be diligent, must be diligent to deal with sin in all its many forms, but also in the way and only in the way that God prescribes. Else you and I will find ourselves caught up within the beguiling of sin and the way that it grabs hold of us. And we surely will suffer. We will suffer all of its consequences if we allow ourselves to get caught up in it. And so it's from these scriptures that we have before us today and others like them that we as believers then are able to stop and learn about the true heart of God regarding these things of immorality and impureness of thought and to learn the heart of God in regards to what we need to do about them. And we'll note as we study these words that God is clear and he's plain so much so that you and I can really not have any misunderstandings about his condemnations of these behaviors. Now here through this letter written by the Apostle Paul, God is giving some very stern and very emphatic guidance to the saints within the church of Ephesus. I want to read those words again. Let me read them beginning in verse 3. The Lord tells us here through the Apostle Paul, sexual immorality and all impurity, all of its many forms, and covetousness must not even be named among you, must not even be said in your presence as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, notice the emphatic nature of those words, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to those who would lead you astray. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, with those sons of disobedience. Now, these Ephesian believers were relatively new in their faith. They were, for the most part, Gentile Christians who were coming out of a culture that had 
both condoned and even promoted immorality and impurity as an ordinary part of life. So these kinds of behavior, these habits, they were not strange. And they were not going to be easy habits for these believers to break. But here in very emphatic words, God is saying that if a person truly desires to become a part of who he is, a believing Christian who will inherit the eternal life and kingdom of God, then they must, without exception, put away all of the ways of immorality and impurity of soul, that immorality of any and every sort has no place, no place whatsoever within the righteous kingdom of God. And we have only to read Paul's letter to the church of Corinth to find that the same forms of obsessive behavior that were immoral and impure were also prevalent there. And God had the very same answer for them that he had for these believers in Ephesus. In chapters 5 and 6 of the book of 1 Corinthians, there you will read about a prominent member of that church, perhaps one of their leaders. He was engaged in immoral relationships with the wife of his father. The wife of his father. Now hopefully... Not That was not his own mother, but a second wife of the father. But all the same, seemingly not even bothering to hide their vile behavior, flaunting it openly, just as we see taking place today. And then to add depravity upon depravity there in the Corinthian church, the other members and the leaders of that church were turning a blind eye to what was taking place. And there's evidence in these words that they were even winking, as it were, at this man's corrupt behavior. Again, as in his rebuke to these church members in Ephesus, the Lord was very emphatic, perhaps even more strongly so with these saints in Corinth. God's words to the Corinthians there, he commanded them to address this matter immediately and strongly, so that that man's behavior might not become as leaven within the church and corrupt that whole congregation. Recall how leaven works and how we are warned about its workings in other parts of Scripture. It only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. And that was the concern of the Lord here with these people in Corinth. And by dealing strongly and decisively with that man's behavior, that man might eventually be able to be blessed and be saved from his sin. It is said here to hand him over to Satan so that Satan can work his misery so that that man might turn back to God. And then he goes on, to instruct us there in 1 Corinthians 5, and I'd like for you to turn there if you would. 1 Corinthians 5. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, 
I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside of the church? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves this evil person. Now here apparently some of the leaders of the Corinthian church had misunderstood an earlier letter that Paul had written to them. They had misunderstood this instruction from Paul to not keep company with immoral people thinking that they were supposed to keep their distance from the unbelieving world. And all of those engaged in all of those forms of sin. But here Paul was clarifying what he had said earlier. He's saying, no, if you were to try to avoid all those in the unbelieving world that are caught up in this immoral behavior, then you just have to leave the whole world. You can't do that. They are everywhere and they are all around you. And you're not to participate with them, but you can't not participate with them because they need you to be involved with them. They need for you to remain engaged with them so that you can be a witness to them as unbelievers. Not participate in what they're doing, but staying in amongst them as the wheat remains in amongst the weeds. The wheat never becomes a weed. It simply influences witnesses to the weeds, a ministry to them. And he's saying here, instead, the instruction that I was giving to you then was to be directed towards those within the church, those who would call themselves true believers in Christ, but who get themselves all caught up in immoral behavior. Here we're being told to exercise discipline over the believing members of our churches in order that they not become a leaven within our church, but also that eventually they might be brought back to righteous behavior. There's another place in Scripture where the Lord indicates that some people simply do not ever come back to faith in Christ as their Savior, although they are still saved. They never leave their sin, and God simply takes them out. He takes them out of the world. They are saved as if by fire, that verse says. But the intent is to have discipline take place within the church so that those errant members will turn their hearts back to Christ. Now here also, God is implying in these words to these Corinthian church leaders that there is more that they need to know about immorality. 
verse 9 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11 of of 1 Corinthians 6, he says to them, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, do these words mean that a believer, perhaps if they get caught up in this sexual immorality, will lose their salvation and never be able to enter into the kingdom of God? No, the Lord is not saying that. But rather God is saying here that earnest men and women who have been convicted of sin have taken certain steps towards being saved at some point in their past. But they never quite stepped all the way into salvation. Fully surrendered their hearts to Christ for salvation. And these rebukes then serve as a testing of their faith to open their eyes so that they can know for sure if they truly are saved. If a person's response to these rebukes is to turn and to repent of their sinful behaviors, meaning that they are sorrowful before God for their sins and they're willing to turn away completely from those other sinful behaviors that that they've been practicing, those habits, then their repentance will serve as an assurance to them of their salvation. But if a person does not repent, does not turn from their sinful ways, listen, that equally serves as an indication that they probably were not truly saved from the beginning and that they need to go back to Christ and fully surrender to Him. And listen, that's what you and I must do. You and I must examine not only our faith and our behavior, but also our attitudes towards such things as immorality and impurity and depravity. If we find that our spirit does agree with God's spirit, just as it's written here, listen, sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not, must not ever be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. If this is our heart, then we can rest in the assurance that our hearts are right with God. And that yes, we are assured of a place in the kingdom of God. But if we have any question at all about any of these words, if we find ourselves wanting to defend ourselves for thinking this way or that way or even defending others for their immoral behavior, then folks, listen, we've got to get back down on our knees and start to do real business with Christ all over again. Here God is saying that no form of sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness is allowed to remain within a person's heart so and behavior. 
if they're a true believer because they will never be able to enter into the kingdom of God with those sins still present within them. I want us to take a moment and clarify what God means by these words immorality, impurity, and covetousness. First, he says there can be no behavior of this sort involving any sexual act between a man and a woman outside of the marriage bed. May I say that again? Sexual acts between a man and a woman cannot take place outside of the marriage bed. Then he also includes in here words that specifically prohibit homosexual behavior. They'll not enter into the kingdom of God. And then he goes on even beyond these acts when he talks about covetousness. See, covetousness takes place within the heart and the mind. Those lustful thoughts, thought processes that step on forward and create desire for sexual involvement with another person. Now, in today's context, that would include pornography and other forms of visual thought-provoking sexual activity. May we understand, these things are so very, very serious to God. Listen to these words now. This is in back in 1 Corinthians 6. Read these with me. This is verse 13. Listen to these words. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every person, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who participates in sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, the Lord cannot be any more plain and clear about immorality and impurity and covetousness. They have no place in our relationship with Christ. No place whatsoever. So may I say to us plainly that from these words, we truly, we who truly have Christ as our Savior, we now really do know better. We're without excuse. Because every time we engage in an immoral behavior, God's Holy Spirit is right here within us and He is faithful to convict us of our sins and to warn us away from those sins. God is calling us to stand strong in our faith and in these instructions because, as God's saying here, we will surely encounter other people who will try to argue a different gospel and say that these forms of sexual behavior are in some way acceptable to God. But please know, 
that we must not listen to them or associate ourselves with them. Verse 6 of Ephesians 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. You and I are going to have preachers preach this very wrong kind of errant gospel. It is no gospel at all. And we must not join with them. We must not let them deceive us into thinking that, oh, God is love and everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what they do. That's not according to Scripture. Let me say emphatically, this is a very serious matter to the Lord. And it should also be serious to you and me. God is not tolerant as this world calls tolerant. He absolutely will not tolerate such sinfulness within the church as is said here. Listen to these words. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this. Notice the emphatic nature of those words. For you may be sure of this. Sure, certain, absolute. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You and I need to grasp the seriousness of what God is saying here. You and I are God's dearly beloved children. And it grieves his heart when his dearly beloved children get caught up in immorality, impurity, and covetousness. But now, with that being said, may I say again, if you and I are true believers, we really do have a remedy for our behavior when we do get caught up in those things. Remember that Satan and the demonic world prowls to and fro throughout this whole world trying to beguile us into these kinds of behavior. And so, yes, we may one time or a hundred times over our lifetime get caught up in these behaviors. But there is a remedy. And that remedy is repentance. First John 1 John 1.9 God says to us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a remedy for us. And you and I must take it. But the warning that's given here also still stands. That is, if we do not turn and we do not repent of our sinful ways and we start making excuses for our behavior, then, listen, that might mean that we have been confused, that we did not take those steps that we should have taken into the full salvation of Christ. And that's when you and I need to get back down on our knees before Christ and begin all over again. These are words of truth. Listen, you and I must obey them. God is merciful and He is full of grace, but He's also just. He is a just God and He cannot allow sin to enter into His kingdom. Listen to these words as we close. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray.